It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 384 for March 16th, 2014. This week, the media player that does everything for everyone continues to be VLC. That sophisticated attack on Target stores turns out to be something that might have been done by script kiddies. The Nexus 7 tablet I bought late last year has turned out to be a valuable addition to my tools. And in short circuits, as predicted, Amazon Prime price increases 25%, and Google goes after online storage business by dropping prices. I keep trying other media players, but I also keep coming right back to VLC. VLC used to be primarily a video player, but now it handles audio, video, discs, streaming content, and more. This is a shareware project that began as a student project in France, and initially the player was called Videoland Client. VLC is a shorter name, and it's easier to remember. The new version builds on VLC's existing strengths and adds new capabilities. Because the program started as a student project, the developers had to obtain permission from the head of the Central Paris School to rewrite their student project from scratch. That happened in 1998. They then released it under the new general public license in 2001. Reaching the version 1.0.0 milestone required 13 years of development. Version 2.0 was released three years later. The current version is 2.13. Unlike certain other media players I've mentioned, VLC still has a clean install. There are no surreptitiously added toolbars or unwanted search engines stuck on your browser. It is donation-based software, so if you like it and use it, a donation is in order. One of the new capabilities added to version 2 is the option to skin the application. This makes it appear more modern, but I find the traditional interface to be easier to use. That's because VLC has a well-constructed menu system, and this is combined with a typical batch of player transport buttons. So everything essentially just works the way it should. And if the toolbar includes functions you don't use, you can banish them. Version 2 makes better use of system resources by moving high-definition video decoding away from the computer's central processing unit and putting it on the graphics processing unit. Besides being able to play media files that are stored on the computer, VLC also handles streaming audio and video. In most cases, these streams can be recorded and stored in files on your computer. There is no direct support for Blu-ray discs, but Blu-ray support is generally provided only by commercial players anyway. Some procedures do exist to add Blu-ray capability to VLC, but the process is complex and errors can create substantial problems for the computer user. So for now, if you need to play a Blu-ray disc on your computer, spend the extra money to buy an application such as Cyberlink's Power DVD. Even if you do that, though, for most videos, you'll probably come right back to VLC. During video or audio playback, VLC offers a variety of settings so that what you see or hear can be fine-tuned. 
Fine-tuning applies to the overall application, too, because VLC provides default settings for the interface, as well as for hotkeys, codecs, on-screen displays, video, and audio. VLC is available in versions that run on Windows, Apple's OS X and iOS, many Linux distributions, a lot of Unix variants, and even OS 2 and Android. A version that supports the Windows 8 Metro or Modern interface is being developed. Support for Windows RT, Windows Phone, and possibly even Xbox One are rumored to be in development. The bottom line is five cats. You won't find a better or more complete media player than VLC. VLC can handle just about any kind of media with no external codecs needed, provides great playback quality and stability, works with various internet radio and TV services, and plays most disc formats. You may need another player for Blu-ray discs, but VLC will handle all of your other media player needs. And these days, a big plus involves the lack of crapware being installed with the player. You'll find additional details on the VLC website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. A report by the security firm McAfee says that the techniques used by the people who broke into Target's point-of-sale devices and siphoned off tens of millions of customer records in late November and early December used only common, well-known techniques. Target's chief information officer, Beth Jacob, resigned, and Target says that it has started a full review of security. One question comes to mind is why a company as large as Target would promote a marketing employee to oversee computer security. Jacob joined Target in 1984 as an assistant buyer and served as director of Target's guest contact centers before being promoted to vice president in 2006. In 2008, she was named executive vice president for technology services and CIO. Target plans to replace Jacob with someone from outside the company, perhaps someone with data security in his or her background, and the CIO role will be changed to that of Chief Information Security Officer. McAfee says that the break-in, previously characterized as one that used highly sophisticated techniques, was more along the lines of Breach 101 because it used standard malware that's commonly available for script kitties. The thieves then used routine techniques to place the malware on Target's checkout registers. The malware the thieves used is known as Black POS. It's available on the Internet. It would have to be customized to work with Target systems, of course, but McAfee's report says the malware is really just an off-the-shelf exploit kit available for sale that can easily be modified and redistributed with little programming skill or knowledge of malware functionality. Astonishingly, says McAfee, the crooks didn't even bother to encrypt either the code that told the malware where to send stolen data or the card information itself. Everything was transmitted in plain text. So although the break-in might have gone unnoticed, the data leak should have been about as obvious as a fire in the lobby. McAfee's manager of threat intelligence services, Jim Walker, said that everything is there in black and white. He characterized the attack as being unimpressive and unremarkable. In fact, Target was unaware of the break-in until federal authorities told them about it. 
To continue the fire in the lobby analogy, this would be kind of like receiving a call from the fire department, advising you that your building is burning, that they're on the way, and you might want to evacuate the customers. McAfee, which is now owned by chipmaker Intel, is not involved in the investigation of the break-in. But as a security software company, it does have an interest in learning more about the exploit. The McAfee report says that it obtained information about the attack from various other agencies. Target Chief Financial Officer John Mulligan has continued to describe the attack as being highly sophisticated, including when he testified at a Senate committee hearing. That's the exact opposite of what the McAfee report depicts as being nothing at all out of the ordinary. A little over six months ago, I bought a Nexus 7 tablet. Then later, because I don't have a smartphone, I added a Net Zero Wi-Fi hotspot to provide cellular access when I'm not within range of either the home or office Wi-Fi service. Even with Surf Easy running, I try to avoid using public Wi-Fi hotspots for secure operations, and the Net Zero hotspot provides that functionality securely. How's it going, you might ask? I said, how's it going? you might ask. All right, so how's it going already? Thanks for asking. Monday, I spent nearly two hours waiting for my annual eye exam. Part of that wait time was my early arrival. I got there 30 minutes before the appointment, but the rest was the result of numerous people being off because of illness. It was the first weekday of daylight savings time, so maybe some of them had a bout of acute timeitis. Instead of being bored, I used the tablet and the Wi-Fi hotspot in my pocket to read and respond to email and to send an instant message to my wife about the delay. And I read several chapters of a book. These activities were more productive and more satisfying than reading whatever magazines might have been lying around the waiting room. In fact, the tablet has become my preferred device for reading books because readers such as Aldico work with most formats and the various proprietary readers, such as those from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, make books that contain digital rights management code available. Beyond that, though, the tablet communicates with my online calendar, task manager, and Microsoft's OneNote. Reading and responding to email is easy with the Canine Mail Reader. I've also installed a couple of solitaire games, at any given time, I have 20 or 30 books I can choose from, along with a dictionary and a thesaurus. The tablet is a camera. Now, granted, the images are noisy, but any camera is better than no camera when something pops up and you want to take a picture of it. Adobe Revel allows me to modify and improve any images I capture, or to view any images I've made available from my desktop computer at home. Firefox and Chrome browsers run on the Nexus. If I should want to go somewhere, both Google Maps and Google Earth are available. Waze provides turn-by-turn -turn directions and real-time information about road hazards. A GPS tool tells me where I am, GasBuddy shows me the latest known fuel prices, and there's even a scanner application that lets me listen to the police in Columbus, or New York, or Los Angeles if I want to, or airport control towers, and more. The versatility of the tablet itself is remarkable because of its built-in Wi-Fi connectivity but the cellular Wi-Fi access point adds an entire new layer of usability. At 15 bucks a month, the Net Zero access point costs a third of the least expensive smartphone data plan, 
Because I'm on a pay-as-you-go T-Mobile cellular plan that costs about $5 a month, the $15 plan from NetZero is more than acceptable. short circuits. For some time there have been rumors that the price of Amazon Prime would be increasing, perhaps 25% or more. The Extra Cost program offers to provide no extra cost, two-day shipping, not free shipping as they like to spin it. The price of the program will increase from $80 a year to $100 a year. That's a 25% increase. If you're interested and you want to save $20, it appears that you can still obtain a full year's worth of service for $80, at least according to Amazon's website this week. That may be an oversight, and in any case, it probably won't continue for very long now that the decision has been announced. Is Amazon Prime worth $100 a year? Or even $80 a year? For the first several years it was available, I thought it wasn't. Then, last June, I needed something quickly, and the no-extra-cost two-day shipping was available if I would just accept a trial membership. I had done that before, too, but I canceled it within 30 days. This time, I tried the trial membership, and I kept it. The two-day shipping has been handy in many cases, so the $80 renewal was pretty much guaranteed. But 25% more? Now, in Amazon's defense, the price has been the same for nine years, and when Prime was introduced, only a million or so items were eligible. Now, that number is 20 million, and there's also an instant video feature that gives me access to some 40,000 movies and TV episodes. Those who have Kindle reading devices can borrow one book at a time from a selection of about half a million books. If you use the Kindle Reader on a PC or tablet, though, you're out of luck. Borrowed books have no due date, and they can be read on other Kindle devices registered to your Amazon account, but not on other non-Kindle devices. So do I use $8 worth of no-extra-cost two-day shipping every month? Most months I probably don't. But some months, the service more than pays for itself. So on average, it seems to be an acceptable deal for me, particularly considering at least occasional use of Amazon's video and the rumored advent of a streaming music service. I can ponder the decision for a few months, though. My expiration date is early June. Just a few weeks ago, I described the various online storage options we have available to us. 
At the time, Google Drive was the best value for free storage, providing 15 gigabytes without charge. Now the company has trimmed prices for additional storage, and it's clear that Google wants to win this competition. In the February article, Storing Your Important Files in Public Places, I wrote that users could rent an additional 100 megabytes of space for $5 a month. Now Google has reduced that to just $2 a month, or $10 per terabyte. Originally, Google offered just 5 gigabytes for free, but later tripled that. Director of Product Management Scott Johnson explains it this way in Google's blog. Having launched Google Drive just two years ago, we're excited that so many people are now using it as their go-to place for keeping all their files. Whether it's all the footage of your kids' baseball games, the novel you're working on, or even just your grocery list for the week, we have files that are too important to lose. Today, thanks to a number of recent infrastructure improvements, we're able to make it more affordable for you to keep everything safe and easy to reach on any device from anywhere. Yeah, that's marketing speak from Scott Johnson, but it pretty much describes how the system works. The cost of online storage is low enough now, and enough space is available for free, that not investigating your options just seems silly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.